Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Love Fruit podcast. And if you would like to subscribe and get more notifications about future podcasts, you can go to uh, fruitfest.co.uk and sign up for a newsletter there if you like. And um, thank you for the support. Today, we have a great interview. I'm looking forward to a lot with Kat Brodish, also known as Soulfully Cat on Instagram. And originally from the US, I met Kat at the Canada Fruit Festival and heard her amazing story of how she actually healed from thyroid cancer. And I think that that's so interesting because you don't hear a lot of people, there's, there's uh, not so many stories of people that, that heal from cancer and things like that that, that, that um, get out there that much. So um, I thought it'd be great to interview her. She's also uh, makes gemstone jewelry. She has a page on Instagram there, inara.elements. So you might want to check that out as well. Um, and she's also a mother. That That's right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so that as well on top of everything else. Um, Kat, is there anything else you want to say in introduction to yourself? Uh, no, I think you covered it all. I'm an, a jewelry artist. I live here in Bali. I'm a single mom to Inara, which I named my jewelry company after her. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Very, very cool. So if we start off, I mean, as I say, I think it's quite rare for people to, because what was rare about the conversation I had with you in terms of your story with cancer was, um, from my perspective, what I've seen is very few people have healed cancer without the combination of kind of surgery and chemo and then also lifestyle as well, like a lot of people do both, but it seemed like you'd maybe managed to catch it early or whatever it was and you'd dealt with it just through a more natural route which might not work for everyone of course but yeah, it's interesting course. to hear your, your your side of it but I guess what I'd like to ask first is in terms of your lifestyle growing up um, what was that like were you on a conventional diet and, th and things like that or how did 100%. it look 100% although the one thing I did do is I went to vegetarian when I was eight so I knew as a small child, there was something wrong with eating animals. So I, I was in a conventional diet of like fast food, but I didn't consume animals at all since I was eight years old because we were so poor. We were so poor growing up that my mom cooked chicken every single day. And I remember looking at the chicken and I saw that it had veins and arteries. And I remember looking at it and I was like, that thing was alive and it creeped me out. So I was such a small child and like, that's all that we could afford. So like just seeing that, I don't know why I made the connection really early on. And then also to my stepdad had a farm where they farmed animals. So when the animals went missing, I understood that the animals went missing to be killed. And I was like nine when she got married and just, yeah, it was really um, easy for me to understand the connection. Did you have any? I, I, I still eat fast food. <laughs> did you have any yeah. health issues at all growing up no actually I was pretty good we, I was always really strong I was always I had a lot of maybe anxiety and some mental stress issues because I did I grew up in a very um well after age 11 I actually was a foster child I was taken away from my family because it was a very unhealthy and very terrible 
terrible um, home living situation. So it's no wonder that I got thyroid cancer because cancer is an emotional blockage. And for me, it was my voice that I was really not able to speak and hold my own space and be comfortable with that. So it's no wonder that that's where it developed for me. But um, I grew up a very stressed, very stressed. A lot of different things were going on that were, it, it makes sense how I ended up with an illness. So you, you felt like you weren't able to communicate growing up? 100%. I was a foster child. I went to 13 different schools in five years. Oh, my God. I bounced from home to home to home to home. And the thing is, is that as a foster child in Chicago, which is a mixed uh, culture of different colors, different races, different everybody, white people don't want foster kids. So I grew up with every other color, anything that you can imagine. And it was amazing because it allowed me now to get along with anybody. Like I am so, I wanted to travel. I wanted to understand the people that I was exposed to early on. It was the most beautiful thing that happened to me. But at that time as a child, you feel really alone when you're looking at everyone else and you can't relate to them because they're so different than you. When you say, when you say foster homes, do you mean like, um, what, what is that? Like my imagination of a, Foster home is like a family that that takes in, adopts a child or adopts a couple of kids. Is that what you're talking about? Or was it like an actual home with like a num like hundreds of kids in it or multiple homes? So every movie that you've seen, like there's a movie called Antoine Fisher. If anyone knows it, it's a really screwed up movie. I felt that. White Oleander is another movie about foster kids. That was more my lifestyle. So we think of these nice homes where people are really good to you, but it's not. I grew up in Chicago where the, the foster homes were actually really awful because a lot of times these people take foster kids in because they want the check and then they're cashing their foster care checks to get cars and other things. I remember one lady, she, would, she had five or seven of us or something. And she never, ever gave us money. We could never even eat. There was never any food in the house. It was abusive house. It was really terrible. So I was in situations like that, which forced me to always run away. So I was a runaway. I was a runner. I, I would run from every place they stuck me in. I was just like, screw this. I'm out. And I would run away. And I would basically like live in the streets. I was just like, I'm not going back to this place. These people are beating me. These people are doing whatever. And I would run away. So then they ended up sticking me in group homes. And I ended up in like several different group homes and every group home they put me in, I would just run away from it. And then finally they stuck me in a place I couldn't run away from in the middle of nowhere. And then I was just stuck. And um, yeah, and I was I'm turning 14 at that time anyways. So, so it slowed a, me down. A lot of people that are, I mean, I've heard a lot of stories of people in those kind of situations and they struggle to really get their life together. You know, it's like, to be so unstable 100%. like that growing up. Um, yeah. Did you ever go towards like the drugs, the alcohol? 100%. Like 1,000%. And actually, yeah, definitely. And most people I knew that even were in these homes, a lot of them ended up killing themselves or or drug addicts or whatever. But I went through this thing where I went through phases of, and it's weird because I never did drugs to escape. I did it to feel love. I was like on ecstasy and I really loved feeling love for the first time because right. I never really got that right. so I, I did a lot of ecstasy growing up and I loved the community that I was in when I did it I was around these people and we were just like it, it was nice you know at the time but it it, it it was weird because I never 
wanted to be so out of myself because I was also assaulted really young. I was assaulted at 11 years old. So yeah. I, I didn't trust letting go of my physical body enough to be, yeah. you know, screwed up. So I always stayed embodied, but I allowed myself to be at a point where I was really having fun. But most people, if you would have saw me, it was weird that someone goes, oh, she's, she's screwed up on drugs. So I, I had, I think because of the trauma that I was exposed to, I can never disconnect. And I never ever did like a hard drug, like people do heroin and like weird, crazy stuff like crack. No, that is, yeah. that is something else. You know, that's a weird, different thing. Because my mother did love me when I was a kid. And I grew up very loved by my mother, but my stepfather was abusive. I had a very loving home early on. So I knew what love was. So I was never, um, like, I always had something to, to remember to ground me where I wouldn't disconnect so far. Like kids that grow up and they're never loved in their home, I think they're more likely to do really hard drugs. Why did you leave your family home? Were you, were you? My stepdad was abusive. All right. And my, you ran away. Turned, yeah, well, he was really abusive and he turned to my mom one day and he says, listen, either you get like you get rid of her or I'm leaving. And my mom was a single mom of five kids at that as a single five kids and two with him. And she looked at me and she said, Kathleen, you have to go because I'm afraid he's going to kill you. Oh, my God. Because he, he would beat me that bad. So then I went with my my aunt and then my grandmother and my family comes from a, a family. My mom's cool. So now and my family has healed a lot of this. But at this time, I'll say like my grandfather, it's just definitely like generational trauma. A lot of it in my family, a lot, a lot of really screwed up situations. So my grandma was screwed up. My aunt was screwed up. Mm. And um, I ended up being bounced around a lot between my family that I ended up with my grandfather, who was the coolest man ever. He just died last year. He was very grounding and very caring, but he traveled all over the world. So when he went to leave to travel one time, uh, I got stuck with my father and my father was a drug addict at this time. He was addicted to crack cocaine and he had beat me so bad that the government came and took me. So then I ended up in the system. Oh God. Because of it. Yeah. So it was like bouncing around and then I ended up with my father's side and then my grandfather was really cool. Most stable home I had as a child, but then my father got me and when my father got me, that was when it was bad. And it was you, really bad. Were you able to go to school much? Like were you, did you get, through that or yeah I was actually you know it's funny I was a straight-a student I actually graduated high school when I was 16 years old because I thought if I got good enough grades my mother would take me back and love me again oh my god so I, I skipped two grades I started actually I started early and then I skipped a grade in high school I was known I had such a high IQ growing up that I think because of my intelligence that was another thing that kept me grounded and also too like I said my mother loved me growing up but she things shifted, you know? And I always, I literally thought my mom, every time I talked to her, she would always brag about how smart I was. Yeah. So I just kept thinking like, if I did really good in school, she would love me and she would take me back, but it never happened. But I did get really good grades and I ended up graduating even a year early in high school, despite going to third, I was actually in newspapers where the foster care agency, I still have this article. They used me in their newspaper to get donations for their agency. Look at this kid in our agency. She's done so good after being bounced around so well. Let's donate to her cause. Of course, I don't get any of the money, but that's, I was like a poster child for foster care. And did you have any, any teachers in school that supported you or helped you at all? 
I mean, I went to so many different schools. It was ridiculous. Right. My last school, I was in the same. I was in my high school for the last year. And um, there, there was one teacher, my creative writing teacher, that I had did some writing and she had sent it to some places. But actually, an article, I was in this creative writing class and I was in this group home that was really bad. And the last one I was in where the kids were horrible, the, the staff were having sex with the kids in the place. It was a really screwed up place. And actually an article that I wrote in my writing class ended up in someone's hands that then got the place shut down. Oh, wow. And I wrote a story and I was so descriptive in my story that people really saw it and they used it in the court case to shut the place down. That's amazing. Yeah. So um, crazy. we didn't plan to talk about this at all, but if you ask, I, I have no filter. No, I, 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 well, I'm glad. Uh, yeah, that, well, that's great. It's good. It's good to. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm open to, you know, talking in depth about anything. I just, I, uh, I think that what I'm getting a picture of is like, there was times when you maybe couldn't, didn't have food to eat and stuff like that. Like in some of the places you were at, like you maybe were struggling to get a meal sometimes, or was it a bit better than that? Yeah, I mean, there was there's times where like I didn't have food or the food access that I had was really unhealthy or they were trying to force me to eat. Like I told you, I was a vegetarian since I was a kid. So they right. they would try to make me eat different things. But then basically I would turn around and tell them like I had allergies, like, oh, I'm lactose intolerant. Oh, I'm allergic to fish. And that got me out of eating a lot of different things. So I was right. really, really happy for that. But um, I didn't eat healthy growing up at all. I mean, I lived on like potatoes. <laughs> you know sure sure but, i mean potatoes well, are healthy but i lived on a lot of junk food right candy yeah. bars and yeah so transitioning into like adulthood how did that all work out like how did you start to get your life together i mean i went to college and i was amazing in college i had one time i was still partying i was doing drugs i was actually selling drugs i got in trouble i dropped out of college for about a year I went and worked somewhere else, like car dealership selling drugs, selling, not cars, sorry, selling cars. And then I was also selling drugs and I got, it was really funny. I screwed up a lot. Basically, I screwed up a lot. I made a lot of mistakes, but I always kept going back to school and furthering my education. And because I was uh, such an amazing student that even in my court cases for my arrest, they bragged about me in it. And about how it would ruin my life if they put me in jail and I got out of all of it. So I was always like this poster child. Like I got really lucky. But um, yeah, eventually, uh, yeah, I kept partying. I graduated from college early at 20 years old. I had a bachelor's degree. And then I went to take a year off. And I didn't go back. I actually started bartending and doing different things and making like, I, would, I was making like $10,000 a month just bartending or selling cars or whatever. And I think what shifted for me, what got me on a healthier track was I actually got pregnant when I was 24 and the guy cheated on me and I didn't keep it. And after that, I spent 21 days drunk because I couldn't cope with what I had did by oh, not keeping God. it. Yeah. 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 It was really hard for me. And then I remember I was going out with a friend of mine who was a really good friend and he made a comment to me that night about something. And I remember I hated the way that he had said that to me. And I hated the fact that I was so intoxicated. I couldn't stand up for myself. And the next day I went sober. And at the same time that I did this sobriety thing, 
it was really weird because actually I went vegan at the same time. I was talking to another friend. He's like, I don't want to eat any of this. And actually it was around the same time that I went sober. I stopped having dairy and all this other stuff too. It was really weird. I don't know why I did it all at once, but either way, I plan to be sober for just from, from October to, I didn't, I had tried to kill myself the Christmas before. I was really sad. When I was 14 years old, I went to go home for Christmas and I had cried at my family party. And it was at my grandmother's house, my step-grandmother's house. And my mom says, Kathleen, that was so embarrassing. I can't believe you cried. It was so awkward for me. Oh. You made it so weird last night. Yeah. Imagine that. My mother said that to me. Yeah, yeah. You know? And uh, after that, she says, you're not allowed to come back on Christmas Eve. You can come to Christmas on our house. So imagine me and my, I was like 14 or 15 years old. All my drug abuse just skyrocketed. I spent every Christmas at the, I would go to Christmas dinner with my family and see the family that I never had, that I had until I was 11 that abandoned me. And then I would go out and do drugs all night with my friends. It was actually really nice. But um, yeah, it was one, the Christmas before I got sober, I also tried to kill myself. It was really sad for me. So I told myself I would stay sober through my birthday which is November 14th, Thanksgiving, and then Christmas. I just wanted to be sober for that because I didn't want to kill myself. After having an abortion, doing that, I said, fine, I'm going to get sober. If I can make it through these three months, I can make it through anything because these are the most painful times of my life. My birthday, Thanksgiving, and Christmas. I spent it every year alone Yeah. because, because my family chose not to have me around or whatever. So I made it through that, and I felt so great. That I said, okay, I'm gonna try six months. And next thing you know, I was going years sober. You know, I had a point in time where I relapsed and I partied and uh, I hit some different lows, but it was never the same. It was more, I realized as I was partying that I was in physical pain and I was partying like, oh, smoke weed. I, I get a little high. I don't feel any more pain. I can dance longer. And I relapsed at a point, but then. I don't know. I just got out of it. It was never, it was never really an issue, but um, I got sober again when I found out I had cancer, of course. And yeah, I think what, that. What, what age was that? Around about the diagnosed with cancer. I'd, I'd also like to 28. know. 28. Yeah. So I got sober when I was 25. I relapsed when I was 28 for a few months and at the same, and then I, I got married <laughs> I got married to someone I met partying in Las Vegas. No, I'm kidding. I did get married in Las <laughs> Vegas, but I, I did. I got married in Las Vegas, but I met him in Chicago. We were on a road trip together visiting his family in Las Vegas. And his, his mother said, you can't sleep in the same bed unless you're married. So we went and got married. And I wow. got married. Yeah. yeah. He proposed to me in the Grand Canyon. It was gorgeous. And... Um, and then some things happened and didn't work out. And he had to flee the country. He was a troublemaker a little bit. And um, when he did, I got so depressed. I went on this like road trip and I, I, I just couldn't handle life at that time. So I started to go out and take weeks off of work. I was a tattoo artist. I was making like $1,000 a day. I had so much money. It was ridiculous. I started to go on road trips around the U.S. And I would like first leave for two weeks and I would just go in my car and sleep in my car and drive all around and like to see everything I didn't want to waste money on hotels so I would just go in my car for like a week two weeks and travel go to all these national parks it started with two weeks and three weeks and every time I left I felt so good and the reason why this was so good for me is when I was driving around the country was 
I had never felt it's so small in a place so big and seeing so many things that I would be driving and I would break down crying yeah. because I was realizing all the emotional baggage that I was releasing on these trips. And I ended up on a six month trip and I had hiked every single national course in the US. And I just, I remember when I got, and actually this was when I went raw vegan, was accidentally on this trip because I wasn't living in a place. So I just had my cooler and my stove and I never liked to use it because it would just be a pain. And I pretty much spent all my time hiking in nature. And I remember when I got off of this six month trip in nature, I basically lived in nature and camping for six months. And I remember the first time I walked into a building, I could hear every electrical outlet buzzing. I could hear every bit of everything because I was so unused to all the yeah. noise. Yeah. And we don't realize how much noise pollution we're exposed to. So yeah. I think that that was, that was actually the turn of my life was when that happened was when I got that, when I was, not when I, I wasn't diagnosed yet, but I went on this road trip. I started to unwind from all the trauma of my life. Okay, everyone, sorry, Kat's phone just overheated there, so we had to pause for a second. Um, so, Kat, you were at the point you were telling us about going for this kind of amazing journey, hiking through the national uh, parks, the emotional releases coming up from your past. Do you want to continue from yeah. there? Yeah, so pretty much I started traveling, and uh, it started just going on, like, a small road trip, and then, like, another big road trip, and then I ended up on a six-month road trip, and like I was saying, I could hear... I remember going into the house and I could hear the electrical, everything. But at the same time of doing this, I got in the best shape ever. I went raw vegan, like I said, unintentionally. I didn't mean to. I just started eating raw. I was pretty much hiking every day, sometimes anywhere from like, you know, 20 to sometimes like 50 kilometers. Like I would go on these all day hikes, you know, just like crazy stuff. And um, it was really amazing. Yeah. So I went on that. And when I got back from that trip, I, I remember that my friend saw me for the first time after months and he's like, you're walking so different. And I remember I had the most perfect posture, probably because I was hiking all the time and I was in such good shape. And I remember I could just feel every part of myself. And of course, I was sober during this time. I think maybe I smoked pot, but even that I was just I think I had gotten rid of that finally on this trip. You know, I went through phases up and down and I wish I could be like, oh, I'm so ashamed that I did drugs, but I'm not. I, I could say like, I went through phases and we all went through them. And what did I learn? That I like being sober. Do I regret that I did it? No, I was part of my experience. I wouldn't be who I am if I didn't do them, you know? And I, it really opened my mind to a lot of different things. So I can't shun them, but I do think that abuse is bad and it's an escape. 100% I was escaping, you know? And I do think that that's bad. I think it's better to be here now, which I am. But um, let me yeah, ask you something so, just about what you're saying there about drugs. Does it, yeah. um, by take, although it's an escape from the trauma, does it, uh, for, for me, push it back, like make it last longer? Like you, you know, you're oh, just, or like, how does that work? I don't know have an interesting experience with drugs so for me there was periods when I abused them but for me actually my body was such an unsafe place growing up because of all the abuse physically sexually and emotionally that my body wasn't safe when I did drugs was the first time that I wanted to be in my body because my body felt so good right okay but for most people while they use drugs to escape 
I actually use drugs to embody myself a lot of times, always, obviously there was an escape factor in there, but for me, my body wasn't safe. My body wasn't even my own body. It was what everyone had did to it. And when I was sometimes in points of different trips and different things like that was the first time that I loved my body and I loved the way that my body felt and I really wanted to be in it. And what got me sober was actually, I was partying and I was in this group of parties and we were like, I was a dancer. I do dance, not like dancing, like stripper dancing, but I'm uh, like part of a dance crew. And we would sometimes party for 24 hours and more. And I was the only one that I would go and I would get dinner and lunch and come back to the party. I'd show up with Chinese food. Like who wants some, you know, everyone's like just partying, doing drugs. I was like, y'all looking messed up, eat some food, you know? And, um, during this time was actually when I, when I went through the relapse that I got sober because I would, I didn't like to be high because I didn't like the way my body moved. I liked to be really nice and, uh, like I was really, uh, people were like, when you walk in a room, it's like a shining light. People really admired me for some reason. I think because I had this uh, glow about me, probably because of all the bullshit I went through that I just, I didn't care. I didn't care what was going on. I came to dance. I came to be embodied. I really loved music because it allowed me to free myself. And um, yeah, it was a different experience for me, but people, I became sober during that time because I hated when I got high that I felt out of tune with the music and my body was like a musical instrument and I was so wow. good at dancing. I don't know how to explain it, but it was, for me, dance was my, my therapy. It became my therapy. I don't know. Cause my body was never a happy place and I love the way I moved. I've heard, I've got a friend of mine who said that dancing changed his life and like saved his life, you know? Yeah. hundred percent. I don't feel good when I'm not dancing. It's hard in Bali because Right now, we, we don't really have the... It, we're actually in hard lockdown right now. Still? Fuck, man. You have no idea. They try to vaccinate the 70% of the population here. So it's like a walking, ticking time bomb of vaccinated people outside. And um, it's a whole other topic maybe we shouldn't talk about. But yeah, so they locked everyone down for several months. We're just now breaking the severe lockdown where we can have events and functions and stuff. But it was pretty bad. It was really yeah. bad. And um, yeah, so it's I've been amazed. Yeah, I've been amazed because I was out in Thailand at the start of the lockdown last year. And yeah. just because I was actually intended on, we were, we were going to come to Bali and then everything shut down. Oh, and if you like, come, let me know. Sure, sure. And uh, but what happened, everything shut down and I was looking at like the numbers and statistics and I'm like but no one in Thailand's getting this like it's it's so totally not an issue in Thailand and Bali and these countries it's like yeah it's a problem apparently Bali was the worst I never saw a single sick person yeah and then the beaches closed it's ridiculous so I went and got tested my antibodies because I just was curious I wanted to get an exemption I got my freedom paper I have an exemption I have a a COVID-19 exemption you cannot vaccinate me I'm unfit for it according to this paper and um, when I went to go do this, I wanted to get an antibody test thinking, oh, I, you know, I've, I, I've been sick a little bit before. Maybe I have the antibodies. I have zero antibodies. Apparently, I've never been exposed to it. I have no antibodies <laughs> to it. You know, I don't know. But they tested me. I don't have the antibodies. So I've never had it. And anything yeah. else was yeah. good. I was like, cool. I was like, I knew I'm strong. My friends are laughing. They're like, it's because you're so healthy and you eat so good. I was like, yeah, well, that's probably part of it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, there's, there's meant to be like a T-cell immunity. So it's not necessarily the case that people need antibodies because your T-cells might just 
deal with it yeah. something like that so i was at the woodstock fruit festival recently and a number so of people, yeah a number of people after that uh tested positive for covid and i was around a lot of them and i stayed with a lot of them for like for an entire week and then i stayed with a friend for a week that tested positive later on and i tested three times after that and i was negative every time yeah i i don't know what's going on like why didn't i get it as well i don't know but um yeah definitely not something i'm i don't think anyone should be worried about it if they're kind of relatively looking after themselves and stuff. thinking it'd be kind of cool it'd be like yeah i had it you know and <laughs> yeah yeah it's sure. not it cool I, mean, I shouldn't say that because people are you know dying from this but I think I was just more shocked that supposedly Bali has the highest rates, you know, in the world. They were saying besides the U.S., they were like Bali so high per person, and uh, I don't have it. I, I can't believe that Bali would have been high because I, I I remember looking at what was going on in Thailand and just thinking this, why is the yeah. country shutting down for this when it's there's, already- there's some things I would like to share, but I don't know how far this podcast will make it. But for example, um, here in Bali people it's really expensive for a funeral so the hospitals were paying the families five million to declare the death as a covid death right yeah and five million rupiah is a lot of money here and things so there's a lot of families that came forward here admitting that the hospital wanted to diagnose the the cancer death the long-term heart disease death as covid even though it clearly was not. And the families were receiving the money saying, listen, we'll give you a settlement. It's part of the, the funds from this, the government gave us money. And right before this lockdown that we just had, the president had gotten a huge loan of money. And uh, then all of a sudden we got all these, uh, we had like mili- military here, militia, uh, whatever it's called, yeah. like all the military in the street. And we're thinking like, this is Indonesia, where do they have money to fund this? And because they have received special funding and when they receive that special funding, next thing you know, everyone's getting locked down. We have military right. checkpoints. I can't drive down the street without a vaccine card. Oh my God. Not kidding, not even kidding. I was like freaking out. I'm like, oh my God, you're kidding me because I'm, you know, I'm not going to inject myself with something like that. And they were requiring it. Even now, if I wanted to go to another island, they require a vaccine. If you want to fly out of the country, they've made it now where they say you don't. If you want to renew your visa here or you want to fly in, you need a vaccine or you need an exemption. So I finally saw a doctor and I was like, listen, I have these issues going on. I have a history of this. I'm not fit to get it. And they wrote me my exemption letter. So now I don't have this burden of worry of having to be forced to take it. But I was scared out of my mind thinking I was going to be forced to have a vaccine. Yeah, yeah. And here they were literally pulling people over. Oh, you don't have a vaccine? Here's a tent with a doctor inside and they give it to you. (laughs) I'm not even kidding. People were getting roadside vaccinations here in Indonesia. So crazy. Like it's crazy. Yeah, it was so crazy. They were like, same thing. Like if you're not wearing a mask here, they find you. They were deporting people for not having a mask on. Deportation for not wearing a mask. But you're right. I mean, how do they afford it when I'm sure that tourism is like a huge part of Bali's economy and like no no one can go in at the moment, right? Yeah, it's so crazy. Well, now they just open it up where you can get a visa, but for a long time it was closed. Now it's just recently opened. Crazy. Yeah. Well, let's get back to your story uh, from the past, I guess. So, is yeah. that because what you're saying is you were, you brought up a vegetarian, you actually went vegan in your twenties, 
but you still got diagnosed with thyroid cancer at like 28 yeah. years old. Um, or some so let me ask, uh, did up to the diagnosis, did you feel like something was going wrong? Like this, something was up with yeah, your health? Did you have a clear idea? Because I feel like a lot of yeah, people have I, cancer for years and don't realize it, you know? No, I knew. I knew because when I was on this trip, actually, I knew something was wrong. I was losing so much weight, more than I should. And I remember I, I, I'm an intuitive, so I do a medical scan so I can, um, I have a gift. I think because growing up, I was so, went through so much, I developed a higher uh, intuition or uh, gifted abilities, you know, yeah. just I can sense things due to my uh, childhood trauma. And um, I remember I was doing a meditation one day and I was doing a body scan and there's this thing you go where you go through all your body and you say, how does this part of my body feel? How does this part of my body feel? And when I do this, I can do this on other people. I can do it on myself. I, I just sense an area and I get sometimes pictures, images, whatever, some sort of sure. uh, bounce back. back. Yeah. And when I got to my throat, I saw, I saw these different things. And I, all of a sudden I just shot up. I said, oh my God, I have cancer. And I was wondering, because at the time, my throat, my voice was changing. And at this time, I was just losing so much weight and I couldn't keep it in. I could eat anything in the whole world and I could not keep weight on. I could not. I was so skinny. I was maybe 55 kilos. I'm about 63 now. I'm like healthy looking, good shape. Mm -hmm. I finally got my abs back. <laughs> but I was 55, which is eight kilos less, which is a lot for me. I don't know. It's probably different in the uh, weight system you use, but... Um, I was really skinny basically. Yeah. And I had said, I need to go to the doctor and I need them to scan me. So I was getting a scan first. I went to the doctor for something else. And I said, listen, I know I'm not here for this, but my voice has been changing. I feel like there's something in my throat. Could you just do me a favor and do a scan? Because I had this vision. I really knew that it was there and they yeah. did the scan and sure enough, it was there. So when they gave me the diagnosis, of course they said, okay, go for a um, biopsy so I say okay I go for a biopsy I do the biopsy okay it's cancer they tell you right there in the office they have a they have a person do the test and check the cells and tell you how they look and they told me within five minutes of the biopsy that it was cancer so of course I like oh you need to get it removed so I said okay I'll schedule this I walk out of the doctor's office. I was hit with so much anxiety. And, and at this time, after going on this six month, that six month trip in nature changed my life. That to be honest, that was the most sobering and most beautiful experience because I had finally spent so much time away from my childhood trauma, my place of trauma. And I had finally released so much that I knew my own energy. I knew so much about myself. I became so spiritually awakened, so in tune with my own energy that I have this very strong sense and connection to myself and to my soul. And when I walked out, I had so much anxiety. And the first thing I said, if this was what I was supposed to do, my heart would not be beating like this. So whenever you're questioning something, the one thing you ask yourself is you go to your heart and you ask yourself, how are you feeling? If your heart's racing, something is wrong. Mm. You know, and my heart was pounding leaving the yeah, office. Yeah, yeah. And I said, this is, and I called, as soon as I get to the car, I said, listen, I know I just made an appointment. I need to cancel it. But why you have cancer? Because my heart and my body is telling me it's not the right decision. And I, I trust myself and I know myself, I'm not going to do it. And they thought I was crazy. I had doctors calling me, the doctor office calling me like every other day for weeks. So I go on another trip. And at this time I was becoming so weak. I had 
issues where my body was beginning to shut down. I, I remember one night I was sleeping and I, I felt like my heart had stopped. And, I, and it was, was because I had severe malnutrition because my thyroid was overactive and my body was just pushing things out. I also had a bacterial uh, H. pylori, which is a bi, uh, parasite. Uh-huh. And I had lost so much weight because of this parasite and then the thyroid cancer. And then I was having issues with my organs functioning. I was, my whole body was falling apart, but somehow I trusted that whatever I was going to do next, I knew that the answers would come to me. And I remember one night I was sleeping and I just shot up and I felt like my heart was like, had almost stopped in my sleep and because I was so weak, you know, it was really weird. And I was like hearing things at this part. I became delusional because I remember I was like hearing things and my whole, it was really screwed up. I found out a lot of these symptoms were from parasites and different things. But um, needless to say, it was getting winter in Chicago. And I said, I can't live here. I'm going to die if I stay in the winter. So I said, I got to go south. I'm going back to where I felt healed again. So I went down to the Grand Canyon. I got in my car. First, I went to go see some friends. I met some people in, in California and they said, listen, when I found out I was diagnosed with cancer, I called them. I said, they're like, come to Oregon. So my first thing is I said, listen, my friends are going to be here. I'm going to go to Oregon. So I went to Oregon first, but it was freezing there. I said, listen, it's too cold here. My body's shutting down. I can't be in the cold. It's not good for me. So I went back down to the South. I ended up in Sedona. By the time I got to Sedona, I was like suicidal. And I had never felt my body fail me so hard because I went from this athlete, this dancer, this person who can dance 24 hour party sober, just pure goddess warrior build i was so in such sexy amazing shape to this person that was can't even i couldn't even i remember going to the back of my seat and trying to lift up a box to grab something and i couldn't even lift it i was so weak from the cancer it was it was really sad and i remember i made a video and a message and i actually sent it to my mother and to my aunt and i told them i was i was going to sedona to actually kill myself I was like convinced. I said, I can't live life like this. I can't do this anymore. I'm so tired of life. I'm so tired of doing this alone. I had cancer. I had no family I could call. I, everyone had abandoned me my whole life. I was, I couldn't, I had no friends. I had no nothing. Where was I going to go? You know, I have no family. My family abandoned me as a child. I have no friends. They're all drug addicts Yeah. or they're people that are unstable. Yeah. Where am I going to go? I was weak. I was alone. I was sick. I couldn't handle it. And uh, yeah, I became really suicidal. I made this video and this this call and I said, listen, I'm not doing this. I actually still have the video on my phone that I made. I recorded myself because I was doing a lot of selfies, uh, cameras while I was driving during this time, during my healing journey of this like year that I was traveling. And uh, I said, listen, I'm not killing myself because I want to die. I'm killing myself because I'm tired of doing it alone. I'm tired of fighting. My body's failing me and this life isn't worth living if this is my circumstance. I can't do this. And um, yeah, so I went to Sedona. I just said, I'm just going to go here. I'm going to figure out how I'm going to do this. I just know that I need to go here. So I was also playing around on Tinder at the time. Why am I suicidal on Tinder? I don't know. But I remember (laughs) on this road trip, I was just trying to connect with people for friends while I was traveling. I met this one person and uh, I don't know. I somehow ended up hanging out with this person the next day after my suicide drive and phone call convinced that I was never going to want to wake up again. And I hung out with this person and I, I was like just falling apart at this time. 
And I told him, I don't know why, I don't know why I hung out with this person and why my circumstance, what it was, but I told him everything was going on with them. And this person kind of helped me for a little while. And um, I don't know how to explain. I went through this shift when I was there, when I went from almost wanting to, I was going to kill myself to waking up and I landed in Sedona. I don't know how to explain it, but there's something magical about this place in the U.S. called Sedona. It's, a, it's like a vortex and I don't know what it was, but somehow when I ended up there, all of a sudden, all these different people somehow came into my life at the time when I was really just going to die. And over a few periods a month, I started to uh, meet these different people that gave me these different tools like, oh, try fruitarian, try this, try that. Um, I don't know. I started listening to these binaurals and I was just around enough people this time that every time I felt really low, some person else got interjected into my life to save me and to keep me going a little bit longer, a day more. And out of all of a sudden, I started to get stronger. I started to get stronger. I don't know what it, what it was like a mix of me eating and a mix of the people I was around. I started going to Kirtan. Uh, because in Sedona, there's this group, the Kirtan, they give you a nice Indian food. It's usually vegan. I said, oh, cool, you know, whatever. I didn't really like it. A lot of cooked stuff, but it was still yummy. And I started doing these mantras and, I, and out of nowhere, I was like, I want to go to India. <laughs> it was really funny. But either way, so I ended up in the Sedona place. I met a lot of different people. They influenced me to want to live again. I met these fruitarian people. This guy had terminal cancer. He was fruitarian. He's probably someone. I wish I knew who these people were because I guarantee that they're probably in the same circle as us. Because how many fruitarian are there in the world, yeah. you know? <laughs> and I wish I remember who this person was. They were terminally ill, hooked up to a bag and fruitarian. It was him and his wife. Oh, wow. I cannot remember for the life of me who these people were, but that was my first time hearing about fruitarianism. At the time, it didn't click. I was like, okay, that's weird. I'm vegan. That's weird, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, so during this time when I started to regain my strength, I was like, I want to travel. So I decided that I was going to go to India. And I said, the cure for me is not in the U.S. It's just not here. They want to treat me, diagnose me, give me medication. I'm going to go to India. So I went back to my home city, Chicago. I went to go pack my stuff to go to India. I'm going to Kirtan there. And all the Indian people are like, don't go to India. It's so scary. And they scared the shit out of me. So I said, oh my God, the Indians are telling me not to go to India. So I didn't go to India. I ended up in Peru. So I go to Peru and everyone's there just like drink ayahuasca, drink ayahuasca. I was like, listen, man, I've done too many drugs. I don't want to do any drugs. I want to be sober. Okay. I got cancer. I'm trying to be sober. I'm trying to do this sober at this. Now I wish I would have drank the ayahuasca. It probably would have helped me. But at the time I wasn't ready for it. I had no, they were telling me try all these different herbs. So I spent like six months in South America, in Peru, Bolivia, Chile, Argentina, Ecuador, Colombia, just few months here I was couch surfing at the time it was amazing I traveled so many saw so many things but the treatment there was do ayahuasca do whatever I didn't want to do it still this time doing my veganism everyone thought I was weird South America vegan they don't even know you just eat a lot of fruit basically uh so I couldn't find the answers I wanted in South America I ended up going back to Chicago feeling great I was so strong at this time because I had I had got on all these different herbs, all these different vitamins. I had started to regain my strength. I did all these detoxes for parasites, which my body stopped getting malnutrition. My organs started to function again. And then I said, screw it. I'm going to India. India was the first place. I ended up, I took the flight to India. 
And I didn't know what the hell I was doing there. I cried on the flight there. I had no idea why I cried. I was going flying to India and I just broke down crying. I'm like having these chats with these Indian people. And I felt like I was going home for the first time. I don't know why, but when I went on the plane to India, I cried my eyes out. Mm -hmm. And to this day, I don't understand why. And when I landed in India was the first time I ever felt understood. And maybe because of this time I was going through spiritual enlightenment, I was learning about chakras and I felt like the people there understood my language more. Mm-hmm. you know yoga and different things like that so I ended up somehow uh, meeting this guy and he told me uh, about this cancer doctor that treats cancer patients for free in India holistically Ayurveda so there's a place in India in Kerala this place called Ayurveda Ayurveda Sala and Kodakal they treat cancer patients for free so I went to this place, I got the medic and they say, listen, show me your cancer paperwork. They give you free medication for cancer, all Ayurvedic, all Ayurvedic. The only thing that they gave me that I didn't want to take, but I ended up taking anyways at this time was ghee and honey. That was part of the treatment. And I, they were giving me all this different stuff and they explained it. And they, they said, just do a spoonful. I said, okay, I'll try it. That was the only thing I have to admit I did do when I had cancer was the ghee and honey. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I ended up in a place called Oroville in India. I got the cancer medicine. I headed to Oroville. Next thing you know, I'm in South India. And Oroville is called the city of gold. It's like this, it's a special, I don't know. People that may watch this may, may know what Oroville is, but I ended up in Oroville. Oroville is a very sacred place. And there's like this temple that you go there. And it's like a meditation room. It's all white. And I would go there every day. And I basically would meditate. And I got into this thing where I would wake up every day at 3.30. I would do like prana yoga like just breathing i started doing yoga i basically was living i i don't know i got i i I went raw vegan at the same time like completely raw vegan i was doing ayurvedic medicine i read this different book and at the same time of being raw vegan doing ayurveda i read this book called the mind of the cells and in this book it's called the mind of the cells and it basically taught me that every time you experience something, you teach your body that that's the way it needs to react. So if every day I'm taking medicine, I'm telling my body that it's not strong enough. Right. Every time that I'm doing something that I'm basically was how you do things and live your life and what it's communicating to your cells. And every day I would start the day as I'm healthy, I'm happy, my cells are alive, I'm renewed. And I started these different mantras because this book pretty much said like all your life, if you, every day you were at home from school, your dad walked in and slammed the door. Every time you hear a door slam, you're going to relive that moment. So when I read this book, I realized that every bit of trauma I went through, I was reliving trauma in every moment of my life. Yeah. So I realized how every single one of my cells were reacting to trauma every moment of my life with no trauma present. Wow. Yeah. So I went through this deep detox of physical trauma, emotional, whatever. I started to doing. I started to do fasting at this time. I met a guy who was raw vegan, had cancer, also beat it. And uh, he taught me a lot of things. And I did the raw vegan. I was fasting. I would basically, when I got into raw veganism, I got into fasting and I got into dry fasting. And I started to alternate this along with Ayurvedic medicine. And at this time, that's how I beat my cancer was I was living in this place called Oroville. I adopted a routine where every day I met, every day I would wake up at 3.30, do breathing, do yoga. I was living like a nun. 4.30, I would watch the sunrise, 
do my breath work. I would start to walk as the sun began to rise around 5.30, do, do all these stretching, yoga, get back by 7.30, then go to this temple and pray like this meditation room. And I would sit there in this meditation position, read my book all day, eat one or two meals a day, raw vegan. Sometimes I would fast and I would pretty much live this very, uh, not everyone can do beat cancer the way I beat cancer. Because the way that I beat it was very strict, but not strict on purpose. I was doing a, a routine of one, fasting, eating raw vegan. And I was also reading this book that changed my life. I was doing the inner work and the physical work. So a lot of times when people have cancer, it's physical and emotional. And I was allowing myself to process both aspects of that at the same time. So I... I, I really had an interesting journey, but my journey of beating cancer started when I went on that, that hiking trip for six months and living. And then, and then when I really started to release all the trauma from my childhood, my cancer 100% was the trauma from my childhood. And the more I fully embodied myself and I felt like my body was a safe place sober. And the more that I ate healthy and I, I used, uh, there's diet is only one aspect of curing cancer. Mm-hmm. You can give someone all the medicine in the world. You can send them on a fasting trip for a year, but if their mind is toxic, their body will still toxic. So it's like the way that I beat cancer was a, a accumulation of my mindset, my willingness to release my past, my understanding of like my body and my wanting to be in my body because cancer comes when you don't want to be there then it ends up there because that part of yourself dies because you abandon your body for so long that that part of your body dies. So when I started to fully embody myself again, I started to eat correct detox. I started to fast to allow the body to self-generate itself. And I started to really purify my mind and my, my soul. It was really interesting because even at this time, I remember a woman met me and she goes, you don't have a period, do you? I go, no, I don't. And she goes, you look so angelic because being the raw vegan, I lost my period, but also too, because I had no thoughts of sex. I was like an angel. I was really just on this meditation of this eat, pray, a selfless journey of everything. It was really a purifying period for me. And it was interesting because people could see it. They said, you're, you're very like, uh, even the way I moved, it was a very, I'm very sloppy now. I'll tell you that. <laughs> because <laughs> I, I you, you spend nine years raw at a point you give up and you're just like this is really intense I just want to be normal again and not have to think about my diet it's hard to be honest uh I beat cancer going raw and I beat cancer doing a lot of fasting but I also developed an eating disorder oh really because it, it sounds like when you were saying you lost your period and your sex drive but maybe you're at a very low weight at the time but that makes sense with all the fasting you were doing and everything yeah yeah, hundred percent. And actually, well, I ended up developing an eating disorder because I had gotten such uh, amazing shape that I was afraid. I didn't develop an eating disorder because I wanted to be skinny. I developed it because I learned so much about food that I thought everything was toxic and I was afraid to eat it. Right. God forbid I ate something cooked. I developed yeah, an eating yeah. disorder because of that. So I want to advise to other people if they're trying to be raw or fruitarian to not label themselves because as soon as you put a label on yourself, then you begin to live up to the status of this is I'm raw. Like, I don't know if you know, like raw, raw transition diet, Damien. Yeah. Yeah. 
Damien's like a good friend, my Polish brother. He was here in Bali with us for a long time. And me and him shared a lot of talks also with Fabio. And we shared a lot about how raw veganism and fruitarianism a lot of times leads to eating disorders. They had the same thing I did. We would eat a cooked meal or whatever, and I would end up throwing up because I felt so much guilt over the, not over the fact of being fat, but over eating food that I learned was toxic. So yeah, this was at the time when I beat all my stuff. I went, I got my scan. I found out I didn't have cancer. It had shrunk over a period of six months, smaller and smaller and smaller. My last three months, I spent most of the time fasting. I ate maybe 12 days a month. Right. right. Yeah. And, you're, and, and so you went back and got the test and, and everything was clear? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got it to a point where it was so small, it didn't matter that I didn't want to go back and keep keep checking. But it was like, went from huge to nothing. And at that point, I said, listen, I know what I need to know. I don't want to go in there because every time I went in there, they were trying to convince me to do medical treatment. Yeah, yeah. I was just over it. I said, I don't need any of this, you know? So, yeah, I, I did. How, how, how long ago was that? 2018. Wow, so that's quite a while ago now. Um, let yeah. me ask you, we've not actually talked about thyroid cancer much. Like, uh, did you research it much? Do you know much about it? Is it something that, um, that is it a very serious cancer? Is it one that people? No, well, it depends because your thyroids are connected to your lymph nodes. So once a, if the cancer spreads, it goes to your lymph nodes. So it goes yeah. from stage yeah. two to four immediately. So I was ahead stage two. So I was at a border point of where I was playing with fire, but. I intuitively trust in myself. So if people are sick, they need to trust and have a good relationship with themselves. Yeah. Like you have to love yourself. You have to have that connection with yourself. Well, and from that, it's amazing yeah. what you were saying that you kind of caught it because you had an intuition that something was going wrong uh, yeah. in that area and that you actually brought it up to them. And that's probably something a lot of people probably get caught a lot later as well. Yeah. This is the thing a lot of people get and they don't realize it, but that's also because they're so out of tune with themselves. Mm. It's so important to fully embody yourself at all points in time. It's so important. It's like, uh, I think that was the most important thing I learned through all this is that um, you really have to stay in tune with yourself. That's about anything, anything in life in general, eating, whatever, dieting, nothing matters except for the connection you have with yourself. Yeah. Yeah, it's literally the most important thing. And so you were at the Canada Fruit Fest 2019. Was that like the first time you were around a lot of other raw vegan people? Or oh yeah, I was you... pregnant then. Yeah, yeah, sure, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I was pregnant then. Yeah, I tried fruitarianism during my pregnancy, and I would have to say that I don't advise it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's really interesting. So who when, and. You, it's after this you, you when you got better and everything um yeah what's your lifestyle been like since then did you stick to a raw diet or back and forth or if you said yeah i mean I, I was while? raw for nine years and to be honest i'm finally I, i'm not gonna say i'm 100 raw because i'm not but it's because i find that being that way becomes an eating disorder for me I need to, I, I don't know how to explain it, but 
there's no one set way to eat and no food is toxic. We've eaten it all our life. We can have a little bit of cooked food. We can have a little bit of whatever, but I, there's things I don't eat. Like I eat 99% raw, but if I want to have um, some quinoa, I don't go crazy that I'm going to have quinoa, you know? And before, up until my pregnancy, I was still suffering from this eating disorder. And then when I was pregnant, I realized like, I can't throw up if I eat something cooked because I have a baby inside. Yeah, me. sure, sure, sure. And then after giving up, I went through a period after giving birth that I stopped being raw and I was just eating cooked and whatever. And then I started to get fat. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I was so stressed. I, I did gain weight after, I, I gain weight after uh, stopping raw. And um then I just went back to being raw. I started to not feel good. I started to have less energy. My mood, I became like cranky all the time. I was like, what the fuck is wrong with me? I said, why am I feeling like this? And I realized that all the things I was feeling, I didn't like the way I was feeling. So I went back to being raw. And then I tried to be strict raw again, and that didn't work either. So now I'm in this space of in between where I, I pretty much eat raw all the time, but I sometimes want something that's not raw. Like I want some you know, like cauliflower curry, <laughs> you know, I love Indian food. So I have cauliflower curry or I eat something that's like cooked and I, I don't feel bad about it now. Sure, sure, of course. And I realized that when I do that, it's a lot easier for me emotionally. And um, I don't know, I think it's okay, but there's things I would never eat cooked again. Like I would never eat fried food. Mm. I would never eat breads and pastas because there's no nutritional value of it. Will I eat steamed vegetables? Hell yeah, steamed vegetables are amazing, you know? Will I eat something that's like lightly sauteed? Hell yeah, that's good, you know? But the thing that it taught me is eating all these different ways is that optimally, with no doubt about it, is close to raw or raw is the best way to eat. There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt that being raw is prime, but being raw and allowing yourself, because there's days that my body wants something warm and I honor that because Ayurveda is older than anything. And even in Ayurveda, there's like things that they say is like some all the time cold doesn't work for everybody. And sometimes you don't have access to the right fruit. And because of that, I strongly believe that um, you do what you can the best that you can, but don't go crazy over it, you know? So but, well, yeah. why did you move out to Bali? What, what, how did that happen? I wanted durian. <laughs> I'm had not you, kidding. Had you tried it in the US? yeah i had you know all the fruitarians were here and i was like i want to go see all these other fruitarians you know so i was fruitarian at the time and i just wanted to be around other people like me so i came to bali and uh, i met all the other fruitarians we were doing all our fruit lucks and stuff it was really good and uh, even after i gave my birth we were having all the fruit gatherings and stuff but the thing that i noticed like i said along the fruitarian people is that there's a lot of people with eating disorders that are not diagnosed and uh, I think that that's one thing that we need to shed light on in the community is that there's a lot of people that are developing eating disorders in this community of raw vegans and fructarians. And I think that um, there should really be like uh, more self-acceptance in the group of themselves. It's very interesting. That's the one thing I noticed in, in the group is that so many people are like, I, I, I got so tired of being in this fruit circle that every time someone would, oh my God, I can't believe I ate something cooked the other day. Like, dear Jesus, the whole world's going to stop. You know, it was like a huge deal. Like, oh my God, you're drinking coffee. That's like pouring. It was really hard, you know? 
and I realized that there's a, it's such a beautiful thing to eat this way, but I realized that it also, there's a lot of sides of it that are underexposed that I think that people uh, really need to be more gentle with themselves and others about, I don't know how to explain it, but there's like this beautiful side, but I, and, and I love it. There's no doubt about it, but there's like this, this little thing that is really should be some awareness to in the community. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I tend to find that um, I would imagine that if I go to an eating disorder clinic, that the majority of people there come from a cooked food background. And so I'm not yeah. really convinced that it's the wrong <laughs> that causes eating disorders, but um, yeah. there's definitely people with eating disorders that are in raw. the raw vegan community or are trying yeah. out or are hiding their issues. Yeah. And you're talking about fasting as well. It's very easy for some oh to say and fasting and detoxing and they're really just like avoiding food. Yes. And um, yes. you're so you're absolutely right. I would, it's funny because I, I pretty much stick to 100% raw as much as I can all the time. And like, I really love that. Yeah. And um, I feel like when I find groups of people, it's very rare that there's anyone that's really that strict. Like you're talking, like I always feel like I'm the strictest in the group and like everyone else is like- That's how I was oh. too. <laughs> right, so like, yeah. and it's, it's not really, I get it. Like it's it's a funny thing because for me, I'm strict on myself. I don't I don't try and be strict on like other people. Like yeah. that's their own business. Here it was hard. It was like a lot of judgment in the group. Yeah, I think that's, that's I feel like people are like that when they're kind of starting off and they get really enthusiastic and they're like new to it and then they start to be really yeah. militant about it and then when you've been doing it for years and years it's like you kind of realize like exactly. humans are like you know it takes time for people to change and it's really yeah. you know whatever but that's how I feel I was nine years like strict raw and now it's like now I allow myself the freedom of like if I want to have something steamed I go for it but it took me nine years of being able to be okay with myself to do that you know and I don't know. I, yeah, I, I completely agree. It, it's not the raw that's causing the eating disorders, but there are a lot of people that have it, that hide it in the group. And it's hard because they're very, it's, it, it became actually where now I'm not really hanging out with anybody from the group anymore. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, it became too yeah. hard. Yeah. It became like just really difficult. I actually missed the credit. I miss like Damien and Fabio so much because they were at the same um, level I really miss my homies because I felt like they understood I understand yeah well Su um, super cool guys so your life right now um how are things going for you health-wise and everything and uh amazing you, you if you want to talk about anything else your lifestyle at the moment and how you live and what no amazing I'm actually I'm actually like maybe 90% fruit almost nine I'm like I'm actually still pretty much fruit-based I actually don't like vegetables, but every now and then I have vegetables, but I eat mostly fruits, nuts, and seeds. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much my diet now. And it's not because I have any beliefs about them or I think about them. It's just what feels good. Like I wake up in the morning, I have smoothie with chia and like uh, pumpkin seeds. And, you know, I eat peanut butter. Some people have bad thoughts about peanut butter. I don't care. I love peanut butter. <laughs> and uh yeah I, I eat that every single day like smoothie bowl and then for lunchtime I usually have like juice or dates or more smoothie I can live on a smoothie bowl all day long and also I have my nanny she helps me because I'm a single mom uh, I always have like cut fruit and then sometimes like I said for 
dinner, I'm either I eat more fruit or sometimes I have a salad, but I also sometimes, like I said, have veggies or quinoa or something, but it's really rare. How, how do you feed your, your, uh, your, your child? Daughter. Yeah, daughter, sorry. Yeah. Daughter has a smoothie every morning and she eats nuts and seeds and energy balls and dates and we eat, she, uh, she has, she has steamed veggies. Right, right, yeah. She what? She, is she vegan, I was saying? Oh, hell yeah, she's vegan. I ain't gonna poison my child. Oh, there's, <laughs> no, 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 no. If someone is, someone is, see, there's a difference. There's a lot of vegans who are vegan uh, for their health. I'm not vegan for my health. I'm vegan for the animals because of what I witnessed as a child. Right, right. So that's, that's the thing is like, there's no doubt about it for me. I don't think anyone's vegan until they're vegan for the animals. Once you're vegan for the animals, you're vegan, you know? Right, right. Otherwise, you're, you, as soon as your health goes bad, you blame it on your vegan diet, but it's not. It's your lack of nutrition <laughs> knowledge. Well, you know? What about um, B12, especially during pregnancy? I've heard that can be something that... Uh... I, have a, I now take B12 now because actually after giving birth, I, broke, I ha- had broke four toes randomly at different times. My bones became really weak. So I finally now I'm on a multi uh, B12, vegan B12 uh, gummy. And I also take iron and K2 and D3. So during pregnancy, you weren't taking any B12 or anything like that? No, I wasn't. My kid turned out fine. I didn't take anything during that time. It was after pregnancy because my daughter's breastfeeding a lot. That's right, right. That I noticed that my bones became weak. And also too, I think because of stress and I wasn't eating enough. Right. After I gave birth, right. and and now I now I eat a lot. I eat a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I started to lose so much weight actually when I started to eat more, because I was eating some cooked food, and oh my god, that causes so much malnutrition. My hair started falling out. I was just like had no energy. My skin was looking awful, and yes. uh, yeah. yeah. So then I I had like I had like a two month period. I went back to cooked after I was like five months postpartum. And I just tried it and then it didn't work out for me. So then I went back to now just eating raw. I started to get fat and I was like, well, I was like, what's going on? <laughs> so can I, um, uh, how can people kind of follow you and maybe get in touch with you if they'd like um, or find out about your jewelry also? We've not really talked about that, but where can people like learn more about you? Okay, so if anybody wants to learn about me, I have my page Soulfully Cat on Instagram. And uh, I share a lot about food and different things like that. Not so much anymore, but I still do have a lot of information on the page. I also am on Facebook and you can be my friend, Kat Brodish. And then for my jewelry, which I'm on every single day and I share tons of photos of Bali and it's a really cool page to follow. Um, I actually donate a percentage of my sales also too to the local communities. I actually fund fooding food projects here because uh, they don't have healthy food here for the locals sometimes. So I go and I do vegetable and fruit deliveries and things like that to the local community because a lot of them are living on just rice and, and meats and things like that. But um, I donate a percentage of my sales to that. And I also fund the women's clinics here. That's amazing. And- yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I've had a really crazy life. I went through really crazy stuff. And to be honest right now, I live my life. I'm so happy with myself. I love my life. I do great things. I help a lot of people. And um, it's funny. It seems like you were successful with like selling cars with the tattoo thing. And 
anything. With uh, the jewelry? Ice to like, penguins. You used to what, sorry? I can sell ice to penguins. <laughs> Is that something <laughs> you, just, you just always been like that or did you learn that or? My hustle? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I think that when you don't have an option, you, I think because of me growing up in really screwed up circumstances, I became very intuitive mm-hmm. and I never sell anything I don't believe in. And I also don't ever hurt people. Like I would never sell somebody something to take advantage of them. I believe in it. And because I believe in it, I want to have other people have it. So I only sell things that I stand for. For example, all the jewelry I make is like Reiki. Mm -hmm. So I should have talked more. I talked a lot about some really dumb stuff like me partying when I was a kid, (laughs) but I should have talked a lot about my spiritual awakenings that I had and my work as an energy healer and my work with my, I'm really gifted psychically and stuff. And I infuse all that into the jewelry I make. So I make jewelry that's for specific healing abilities and different things. And even the jewelry I make, it's really pretty. (laughs) So I wish people would go check. Let's talk about that that before we finish. So um, what what has been kind of your spiritual journey? Is that something that's been from a young age or how did that awaken for you 100 i was a kid talking to ghosts when i was a kid i remember being small and i remember being small and understanding that there was energy around me that i couldn't see but i could sense my mm. mom has it too my grandmother i grew up in a house where it was really normal so my my mother was really gifted as well i grew up with my mom playing the ouija board not saying the ouija board is real but i grew up around that as a kid And my mom had found out, like, for example, our best friend, her best friend growing up had died. And she found out through the Ouija board. It was like, hey, Christina, I'm here. And she's like, who is this? It's like, George. What do you mean, George? George is like, no, I died. Listed the hospital. And I remember seeing this as a kid. She calls the hospital. I have goosebumps now thinking about it. He had just passed away three days before. And it communicated through not like a Ouija board, but my mother would take the letters and write them on a paper. And then she would cut them out and it was her and her three sisters, like spooky, like four witches, you know? And I remember them <laughs> sitting at the kitchen table playing this and uh, they use a glass cup and would light the candle under the cup and like blow it out. My family's like a whole like little witch factory, I swear. Um, and they would play this and it, and it told them that. And she called the hospital and confirmed that he had just died. And it listed everything, the funeral list. And this is where I died and this is where I'm buried. And she called, it was correct. And I remember I was like so intuitive. My mom told me that when I was a kid, I used to sit and laugh at the corner. She said, I used to talk to angels. And I just remember all my life knowing that something else was around me that I couldn't see. And I would sometimes just hear things like, this is this, this is this. And I, and I would ask my mom about it and it was always true. So I kept listening to these things or like, I would just have a sixth sense that something is happening or I don't know, it's a knowingness. Yeah. And I don't know how to explain it other than knowing that I have it. And like, I can sense things like I'm, I also have this really clear communication with spirits and energy where if there's something in a house, I can get it to leave. You know, like right. my, I grew up with my mom, my mother used to go and cleanse house. Like she was really good with cleansing houses and things. And I grew up in this different environment where this sixth sense. So energy is never created nor destroyed. So if you think that when you die, that that's the end, your energy has to go somewhere. Your soul has to go somewhere. And there's like this, so souls or what we appear as ghosts are just energy. It's just energy, positive or negative fields of vibrational energy. So you're just learning how to be a elementalist and shifting energy. 
So if you take out these uh, words that are paranormal and you just replace it with, there's an energy that exists here that I don't like, or an energy here that feels heavy or light. And you look at everything around you as energy. Like for example, like when I dance, even I can see light, I can see sound and color. It's like, I'm in a room and the whole room is lighting up and this is sober. This isn't on high, you know, this is just mm. sober. Mm. I have this different, uh, it's called synesthesia, you know, I have these yeah, different, yeah. it's really, it's really beautiful. But I also always had the heightened sixth sense of this, knowing that there's an energy that's shifting. And I think a lot of that came from uh, maybe the way I was also raised and some other things I was exposed to really early on. And how did you get into the jewelry making? I love jewelry. I love crystals. When I was traveling and I was going out west, the first reason why I went to California was I wanted to mine for crystals. That's why I went to California. I went on the road trip to go to California because I said, I love these crystals. I want more of them. Oh, well, you can go to a mine and get them. Oh, I can go to a mine and get them. Oh, hell yeah. I'm going to the mine. I have the video of me like driving in. I was like, oh, masons. There's some masons here. Wow. I'm on, you know, it was like the most magical journey. I'm like, look at this. It says this. Oh, Shangri-La. Wow. I'm in the perfect place. It was like this whole, like when you're on this journey and you're traveling, you're just like, this is the coolest thing ever. And like, everything's like a sign. Oh, this is another sign. I'm supposed to be here. But it was really funny. I went to this mountain. I mined these crystals. I met these cool people, this geologist. I ended up working for this geologist for a little while. I was like going to mountains, like breaking down these quartz clusters. And uh, I really firsthand digging out crystals. And um, I miss that. I love stones. I think stones, uh, actually, I, I make a lot of videos on my uh, Instagram about this, about how stones are basically a frequency and sound so color is a frequency so purple is purple is only purple because it's vibrating at a certain rate so and and the structure that it has whether it's smooth or jaggedy is also because of how fast the particles are moving so again i think of everything as an elementalist if like sound uh, like same thing how i know things exist is the same way i understand crystals so something that's purple or blue it's a vibrational energy and you're trying to sync and harmonize with that Sure. So, um, yeah, so I really love uh, crystals because of that, because I, I understand the energy and I, I am completely captivated by it. And um, they're very good healing tools, because when you put these crystals around you, even though it just looks like a rock, this rock is vibrating at a certain frequency because one, it's a color and it's a shape and that's all a wavelength. And the only reason why it appears solid is because that's the wavelength that our eye allows us to mm-hmm. receive so it's like interesting so if you look at life life is actually everything around us is moving it's a bunch of moving particles so i was a biologist with a minor in chemistry and physics when i went to college so i have this really wild side of like party but i was really insanely intelligent and that was my problem is i was just bored and um i'm really scientific with it i talk a lot about it on my instagram about, and uh, elements yeah, Inara elements because Inara is my daughter's name and it means illumination and then elements because I only use organic materials. I don't use anything that's not organic. Thank you very much, Kat. It's been a very interesting conversation. Just yeah, it's really sorts of stuff. You might want to edit half of this out. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people have told you you should write a book, but your story is really amazing. I think a lot of people would like to hear that. Um, so great. And Everyone should go and check out Soulfully Cat on Instagram or Inara.Elements on Instagram for the jewelry page as well. Yeah, the and, jewelry page is cool. Yeah, and, and we thank everyone for watching and listening. Please feel free to share this on with someone you think it might help yeah. or uh, give some positive What's encouragement. With. What's yeah, that? I was going to say, 
also too, if people have issues, you know, I went through a lot of issues with uh, emotional and I do mental health coaching. So if people, and I do this just as a service to other, if people are in an emotional rough spot, I'm here to talk. I don't want anything from it, but I grew up where I didn't have any support. And um, I'm here if people ever need, like I've had a really interesting life. And because of that, I'm very um, understanding and I'm able to relate to people on almost anything. So if people ever need someone to talk to that they're going through a space where they just need someone to turn to, I'm always here and they can feel free to contact me on Soulfully Cat. Um, And I've seen a lot of stuff and I like to think that I have some really good words to share. And I promise that they would leave the conversation feeling much better. <laughs> yeah, Very I think that's, that's a great service to offer. Yeah. So thanks everyone for watching. And you can check this podcast out on YouTube. You can follow us there. Um, you can go to Spotify, iTunes, listen there if you want to listen somewhere else. Love Fruit Podcast. Uh, thank you very much for watching and listening. We'll see you in the next episode. Uh, fruitfest.co.uk for to subscribe. And yeah, thank you very much, Kat. Yeah, thank you.